Welcome to The Lemonade Principle, a podcast for students and anyone interested in hearing from inspirational business speakers from around the world. I'm Chris Roberts, and this week I speak with Dr. David Brower from Pittsburgh in the United States. David did his DBA at Durham from 2011 to 2015, and I was really interested to hear about his career from 2015 onwards, because everything he's done since then has been a direct result of his studies. His business, Priority Bridge, was a result of his doctoral thesis, and it was interesting to hear about how he uses cultural fit to help companies make hiring decisions, something I think is quite unique, but also hugely important. David is also an academic himself these days, and it was great to get an insight into academia as a career for any listeners considering it for themselves. That recurring theme on the podcast, the value of your network, comes up again this week, and we get some of David's tips for maintaining your network when your friends and contacts are located around the world. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest on the show this week is Dr. David Brower. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you, Chris? I'm very well, thank you. And you? I'm well. Great, great. So why don't we get started? Um, How about um, you tell us who you are and maybe give us a little bit of a brief introduction? Sure. My name is David Brower, and I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. And I went to Durham University in the DBA program from 2011 to 2015. I am married and have two boys, Grant and Christian, who are 13 and 10. And uh, these times right now are particularly challenging with, with homeschooling, but we're, we're doing a good job balancing things. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult time at the minute, isn't it? With people want, when you have families at home right now. Yes, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So why don't we go back? Um, so you studied at Durham for your doctorate, uh, 2011 to 2015. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about your time at Durham? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the DBA involved, first of all? Sure. So I went to the University of Pittsburgh for my undergraduate education, and I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh in 1996. So it had been quite some time since I had been uh, in school at all, but I had a very good mentor. Her name was Darlene Motley. And she was talking with me and she said, you know, I, I had been a guest speaker because I had been an entrepreneur. I had been a guest speaker. Darlene was a professor at Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh. And I was a guest speaker in some of her classes. And she said, you know, my students really engaged with you. Uh, they, they really liked talking with you and they learned a lot from you. Have you ever considered becoming a professor? And I said, no, I haven't. But, you know, I really did enjoy enjoy teaching the students and I had a nice time engaging with them. And I was looking for something else uh, more intellectually stimulating to get involved with. And she said, you know, Dave, you should go to the best doctoral program, business doctoral program that you can get into. And you should go you should look all over the world. And I thought, you know, that's a really good idea because all of my ed- education had been based in the United States and I had a very myopic mm. um I guess, view of the world. And so I thought it would be very good to expand my horizons and get a more global perspective. And the Durham uh, DBA at the time also offered the Food and uh, DBA, which I think just came back online recently. Mm. And that was particularly attractive to me because I liked the idea of being able to study in China and get that perspective and then come back to Durham and and really finish up the dissertation part of that. So hmm. what attracted me to it was the global perspective and my cohort was uh, extremely diverse from, from a global perspective. I have friends from, uh, from Austria and Bahrain and Hong Kong 
and Pakistan. And really, it was uh, really quite interesting. And I was the only American in the program. So it was nice not to be surrounded by by the same views or points of view, yeah. I should say. <laughs> so how did you find um, Durham as a city? Because obviously, it's, it's quite small, isn't it? Yes, it is quite small, but it's a it's a very attractive and kind of almost the idyllic setting that I would have thought. You know, I had been to England as a, a as a younger man. My parents took me um, to England when I was young in the eighties, and and I had been there in the nineties. And I, but it was quite different different perspective to go to the northeast. You know, of course, because I had done the London, the Wales, and all of those types of things, uh, typical tourist things with my with my parents and family when I was younger. Um, but it was quite interesting to be in Durham. And Durham's a lovely lovely city, but the castle and the World Heritage Cathedral and I quite enjoyed my time. I would uh, I would usually stay out at St. Aidan's when I would come into town because of its proximity to the business school. I really I really liked that. But in the evenings, I would I would walk in across uh, across the bridge and look at the cathedral and just lovely lovely place to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, going back to the program itself, um, can you maybe talk us through? I know it's quite a long program, isn't it? Can you talk us through what that involved and maybe any standout moments that you had? Yeah, so the first five modules were held at Fudan University in in Shanghai, and uh, it's funny now, but at the time uh, I had never gone, I had never gone to to Asia at all, and so I was, a, I guess, I was a bit nervous to go. Um, naively, I shouldn't. There was nothing to be nervous about in retrospect, but but I was, and when I got there, everybody was so welcoming, and the first person I met was was uh, Sarah Chow, the director of the program. And she was just so welcoming and kind. And then I met Mike Nicholson. And one of the first people I met was Larry Lee uh, from my cohort, who is now one of my best friends. And uh, he also is a graduate of the program. And so I found it quite wel- welcoming and just, uh, just very opening. So it relaxed me right away. And when I, when we got into the program, we learned a lot of things about doing academic research and, and really taking a deep dive, a deep look into uh, different ideas that we had. So my dissertation specifically, my idea for my dissertation was how and why uh, students chose their MBA programs because I thought business schools should would want to know about their business and how their customers are choosing uh, choosing that particular product. And so mm-hmm. I did a mixed methods study on how students chose different uh, graduate business school programs. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So that ended up being really, really based in consumer behavior theory and decision science and took a, a broad perspective looking at organizational ecology or the life cycle of businesses at the time. So it was really important to um, get connected with how and why people are making their buying buying decisions. And so that really uh, focused a lot on consumer behavior theory and Mike Nicholson and Sarah Chow were instrumental in helping me to focus in on those areas. And then organizational ecology kind of looked at the life cycle of businesses. There's many small colleges in in the United States, particularly, but um, that are not funded by our by our government. And they're in the United States. They are in in trouble, really, of succumbing to the hazard of mortality. 
and that means that they would just expire because they're not offering what their what their customers need them to offer. Times have changed and they keep offering the same thing. So they're doing the right thing for too long, really. And that kind of takes a, a good deep look into organizational ecology. And Laszlo Polos uh, was instrumental in helping me to be able to, to look at that material in a deep dive. And then the decision science uh, aspect came into it, which is what kind of led to the business that I'm currently in. And when I was doing my my research, so I did qualitative study, which where we interviewed people who were in MBA programs and asked them why they chose the programs they chose. And we developed some criteria. I developed some criteria about why they uh, chose that program. And then that led to a quantitative survey. And so I developed a survey using SurveyMonkey and I looked I, using the Likert scale, the standard one to 10, you know, how much did you like this meal one to 10? How mm -hmm. much do you like this one to 10? And it occurred to me, you know, as, as you're in a doctoral program, it really makes you question and look at everything quite a bit differently. I would say the doctoral program teaches you to think differently. And one of the things it did for me, I was looking at the Likert scale and I thought, what, what does a one mean? I mean, it really makes you think in strange ways. And I thought, well, one's not very good. Uh, if you rate something a two, do you mean that it is 100% better? Because mathematically, it's 100% better. And generally, you don't. And so I started to see some problems with the Likert scale and that it was uh, disproportionate. And then I found it also has central tendency, which means people don't tend to pick things on the ends. They won't rate something a one or a 10 generally. And then um, it's inconsistent. So I don't know if, uh, if anybody's ever taken a survey or been given a survey and they kind of feel guilty. Uh, so they just take the survey, but they might just answer the questions very quickly without actually reading the question. Mm -hmm. And that, that data gets mixed in, and that's called bad data. So there's, there were some fundamental problems I was finding with the Likert scale. And so I, I found a gentleman named Dr. Thomas Soddy, the late Dr. Thomas Soddy from the University of Pittsburgh, who was alive at the time. And he became a great mentor to me and helped me to develop a better system of surveying and assessing people's answers, utilizing comparative judgment. And so that was the method that I ended up using for my dissertation. And then that has led to uh, a company that I've currently founded called Priority Bridge. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm interested in your company. So um, why don't we move on to that now? Because I know there's a bit of a lasting impact from your DBA. There. Can you tell us, um, tell us a little bit about what your company is and what, what you do? Sure. So Priority Bridge uh, utilizes the comparative judgment that I developed during during my doctoral thesis. And really the premise of it is, um, if you've ever uh, taken a job at an organization or been on a hiring committee for an organization, sometimes you, you, you get the resumes of the person and you read the resume and the resume seems great and they're qualified. Of course, you know most people will make their resume match what the job description is. So that should be a, a pretty good fit. And then uh, the person will come in for an interview and they'll do a really good job interviewing and you think, wow, that's, that's the person we want to hire. And then the, they show up to the job and they're not a very good fit. And we at Priority Bridge believe that's because it's not a good cultural fit. Uh, meaning that what you thought the job was and what the candidate thought the job was, was not aligned. 
And mm -hmm. so we utilize comparative judgment to find the best cultural fit. So when we start the process, the hiring team will take the priority bridge assessment, which will baseline the culture of that particular job within an organization. And then we give that same assessment to the potential candidates and the candidates, uh, then, then the priority bridge will show which candidate is best aligned with the hiring committee or the culture of that organization. So we can actually quantify cultural fit. Mm. So that's really interesting. So, I mean, culture and workplace culture is something I'm really interested in personally. So how important would you say this cultural fit is to an organization? I would say it's ultimately uh, the really one of the main driving success success factors of an organization. Mm. If you don't have the right culture and uh, consumer focus and really have the best interests of doing the right thing all the time for your customers and focusing on what their needs are and how to best most efficiently find great solutions that will help your customers achieve their goals then uh, ultimately an organization will fail. And mm -hmm. I believe that this is also true of the people that work within an organization. So you need to be properly aligned within your organization. That doesn't mean that you all need to think the same thing, but it does mean that you all have the same end goal in mind and that you're all working toward the same end goal of helping the organization succeed by helping your customers succeed. And it's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, part of this podcast is that it's aimed at students in the classroom a lot of the time. And this can be flipped on its head, too, that students now should be looking for organizations that are a good cultural fit for them, as well as the other way around. Absolutely. I think this is true. Uh, even before you get to the uni, you should you should be looking at a university that will help you to achieve your goals. And even within that, you should be looking for professors and people who can help connect you uh, with others that will help you reach your end goals. So if you have a, a job goal or a company in mind, you should be looking for people who've either worked in that industry or with the people that whom you hope to work for and with. And you should always be trying to align and realign your end goals with the path that you're on. And so that's really uh, what the Priority Bridge does is tries to align the candidates with the, with the goals of the organization. And so with the students at, at Durham, I would suggest for, for their long-term goals, they should look at, at those things as well and how to best align uh, their, their outcome, their ideal outcome with the path on how to get there and the people who can help them get there. Mm -hmm. Um. I should say as well, uh, you've mentioned Larry Lee already. Yes. Uh, I should say, Larry, it's one and the same Larry Lee who was on the very first episode of this podcast. Um, and I should say a big thank you to Larry as well for introducing me to you, um, to leading on to this episode here. Uh, it was a very different situation for Larry, wasn't it? In that his company existed prior to joining the, the DBA program, whereas your companies almost came out of the DBA program later on from the research that you did. Do you think um, it's a bit of a different experience in that sense? You know, I don't know. I think a lot of the, the DBA program and coming to Durham and focusing and, and meeting the professors, I, I think that really a lot of that is about self-growth. And so, yes, he, he had his, uh, he has and had a successful company before 
uh, coming to the Durham DBA program, but I believe a lot of what he was doing was about self-growth and learning more. And uh, that really was a lot of a lot of the reason that I came to. I didn't come with the intention of of founding a company out of my dissertation. Actually, I just came with the idea of of self-growth and seeing where the path may lead me. Uh, Larry and I found a lot of common ground and became really good friends. And I actually, uh, I, I developed a few good friends in the program, uh, including professors. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really good friends with Peter Hamilton now, and uh, who, is, who is a professor at Durham University. I'm good friends with uh, Birgit Brachis, who was, who was in my program and she lives in Austria. And uh, it really, the, uh, quite a few people that I've become good friends with that, mm. that helped me along the way too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, this is one of the things that's been coming up regularly on the podcast, that people have really built networks um, through their programs of studies. I mean, how would you say your network's expanded? Would you say it's, it's crucial um, to what's happened since your studies? Absolutely. I would, I would say that, uh, you know, I talk with Larry Lee, uh, at least we text uh, probably a few times a week still. Uh, and I keep in constant contact with, uh, you know, pretty regular contact with uh, Peter Hamilton and, and Birgit mm -hmm. and actually Genya Alderazi from Bahrain and, I talk with uh, quite often, I guess, uh, Farid Zafar from Pakistan. And so really the network of people whom I engage with on a regular basis now are mostly from, from my cohort. And mm. I really found a lot in common with many of the people in my cohort. And that time was very special and I've carried that forward with me uh, and, and mm. really hope to work in business with them uh, moving forward. Many of them I would love to, I would love to, work with and have business partnerships mm. with yeah i mean i've got I've kind of two questions as well off the back of that how is it in a practical sense how do you stay in touch with people um, obviously the group is spread right around the world and also have you got any advice for people listening to this um, on maintaining their network once they've kind of finished their studies and moved as you say all around the world yeah you know we're quite fortunate these days with having uh, text and email uh, capability and and also um, the social media, LinkedIn particularly. I don't, actually, that's the only channel that I use is LinkedIn. But uh, most mm. of with most of the people in in the program, I just have a direct text. We just text back and forth, and mm. and occasionally we'll FaceTime and and call each other. But I think that uh, all friendships and all business relationships require uh, require that you pay attention to them. Right, you, know, you need to pay attention to relationships and uh, at least give them uh, a little water every now and then, or they'll die. So we uh, we just try to stay in touch fairly often. I mean, some people I only talk to a few times a year, and others I talk to a few times a week. But uh, overall, uh, it, it's a kind of constant thing back and forth. Cool. Cheers for that. Um, so if we can circle back um, to talk about your, your business priority bridge again, um, one of the things I'm interested in, I mean, obviously you've started up fairly recently in the last five years or so. Were there any uh, challenges that you faced over the last few years? Any Anything in the startup process that you think might be useful for someone listening to this and thinking about maybe starting a business in the future? If there are quite a, there are quite a few challenges. I would say um, having the right business partners in the first place is, is ultimately mm -hmm. important because you cannot do everything yourself. 
we have, me and my partners have self-funded Priority Bridge, but it would be nice uh, had we developed this and had the right investors who didn't want equity. Ultimately, we, we decided not to uh, take on equity partners because we didn't want to give away parts of, parts of the company. But that's always something that can be helpful and important is to at least be well connected with the angel investors and the investment network because they'll tell you what's important or what is good or bad about you, the business that you're starting and how, how you can tweak it. So I think it's really important to get feedback from others who have walked in the same path that can tell you or at least help you spot challenges coming forward and also tell you about your your particular product. Uh, we had talked earlier about it being so important to be customer centric, but how do you be customer centric before you even have any customers? And that's by developing a network of people who could either be potential customers or know who your potential customers will be and can give you feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would you say that the DBA helped with that side of things too, alongside the, the theoretical side? Uh, um, as far as networking and, and developing some networks, I do believe uh, I will have some good potential partnerships with uh, some of the people in my cohort for bringing um, Priority Bridge to a global audience, as opposed to uh, if I were just based in the United States and didn't have the network I have, I would only probably be launching in the United States, simply because you need to have someone who's in the country that you're launching into that you can trust that that won't steal your product or steal your idea that really believes in you and wants to help you succeed i think uh, particularly if you're a small organization there's only three people in priority bridge right now and so when you're so, when you're so small it's it's vitally important that the relationships that you develop are there's a there's a extremely high level of trust mm. Okay, great. Um, and I know I'm um, kind of on the flip side of, of your career since the DBA. There was another side of that in that you've been involved in academia too. Right. Uh, yeah, so can you talk through a little bit of that? Am I right in thinking that that came about um, as a result of the DBA as well? It did, it did. While I was in the DBA program, uh, Mike Nicholson was kind enough to talk with me and and I told him I had some interest in in teaching. And so I started as an online tutor for the Durham DBA program. Uh, specifically on the managing people module with Peter Hamilton as as the lead instructor, the professor for that, and also as a tutor for strategic thinking with Simon Haslam. And so I was really exposed to great online teaching and uh, grading, marking the papers, engaging with the students and asking and answering questions that they have, uh, and really maintaining constant uh, contact with them and I actually I've made friends with some of them too like uh, Nicholas Fenton Wells who's a rugby player from Bristol uh, I've, I've still I've still maintained contact with him as well so your network is, is maybe not necessarily just in your cohort but all, with all, all people of mm -hmm. Durham so I got some experience tutoring there and then I have a good friend in Pittsburgh who was the director of <clears throat> the um the business program here in Pittsburgh at Robert Morris University, and his name is Marcel Manitolo. And he asked me if I wanted to have some practical teaching experience. So after, um, actually, I think during my last year of Durham, I was teaching five classes over at Robert Morris University as a lecturer. 
And so that really started my academic career. And now I'm an assistant professor of marketing at Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And what advice would you give anybody who's listening to this podcast now, maybe studying an MBA themselves and thinking about a career in academia in the future? What would you say to that? I would say definitely go for it because it's extremely fulfilling in the relationships that you build and gain by uh, by teaching you learn a lot more than you do just by being in a class and so i would say it's one of the most fulfilling experiences i've had i really enjoy teaching a lot i specifically teach entrepreneurship and sales and those are the those are kind of the focuses of my area entrepreneurship sales and marketing research and so i kind of very stay i stay very close to the things that i know best uh, both theoretically and in practice and so I draw a lot from my own life experiences while teaching. And I think that's really served me well. And how does that compare to, <laughs> to other sectors and other roles that you've had, say, starting a business? Is, is working in academia very different to those kind of jobs? It's kind of funny because I thought teaching in academia wouldn't be uh, very political, but it's turned out that it actually is fairly political in jockeying for resources and in different things. So I would say, no, it's not appreciably different than, um, than working in other industries. It's just structured a little bit differently. Mm. You know, I was in sales for a long time. And so I was always responsible for my own time management and really being a professor is a lot the same that way. Um, so mm. no, I wouldn't say it's appreciably different, but I would say that your ability to network and engage with people is, is, quite a bit greater because you because of your access and exposure to so many different people in academia mm. yeah uh, one of the things i'm really interested in it sounds like you're kind of the the typical success story for a university looking to find some someone one of their alumni to, to, to tell their story really and that everything you've done since your time at durham really has came from that time so whether it's starting a business and using your thesis to fall back on for that or going in academia why do you think that is? Do you think it was down to taking opportunities? So I was a little bit older when I started the DBA program. I was 38. And so in my undergraduate experience, I had uh, definitely not taken advantage of every opportunity that I, that I possibly could have. And I, I won't say that I regretted it, but I guess I, I wish I would have taken advantage of more of the opportunities that the school had to offer. And so when I came to Durham and there was a possibility of doing some online tutoring, I did that. I also took advantage of several side trips that were available. Uh, for example, uh, Larry Lee invited me to come to Hong Kong when we were in Shanghai. And I, I just said yes, instead of thinking of reasons why I couldn't mm. do something, I thought of reasons why I could do things. And I took advantage of really every opportunity I possibly had. Also, I came to Durham quite a bit more than I was really required to come because I wanted to feel engaged in the community at Durham. And so I, I took extra classes that, that the school offers sometimes online. So one of the things was it had been a long time since I was in school. And so I had to, um, I had to really um, improve my skills in data analytics. And so there was a uh, there was a course offered at the library for a week on data analytics that I took so that I could refresh my skills in those areas. And yeah, I think it's really important that when you engage in these things that you take advantage of every opportunity that's pre presented to you, or at least as many that you as you can. And something else that was uh, quite amazing, I would say, or extraordinary about my time at Durham was uh, while and after 
I was at Durham, um, you know, I went to, uh, I was invited to and went to a party uh, at the House of Lords. Um, and that, that was pretty amazing. And then when I was back here in the United States, uh, I was invited to a dinner with Sir Kim DeRoe, who um, was the ambassador to the United States uh, at the at the embassy in Washington, D.C. And those were things that I definitely would not probably have experienced in the normal course of my life. So Durham really, really extremely uh, much so opened up my world to to some different things. Mm -hmm. That sounds that sounds awesome. That sounds like some great experience. Pretty fascinating and, and extraordinary experiences, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So one question I always ask um, guests on the show. Um, what advice would you have for students sitting in the classroom now? Obviously, we can't be physically in the classroom, but anyone who's considering their next steps, uh, we're, we're over halfway through the program at this, this point in time, and we have people considering what to do next. What advice would you give them? I would say uh, pick a target. You know, these targets don't have to remain static. If you head in a direction and realize halfway there that that's not what you want to do, that you want to change your mind, it's okay to change your mind and focus on a different goal. But always make sure you're, you're bouncing these ideas off of your network and the people that you've connected with and other people that have walked this path before and really try and stay focused on your goal and the the things and tools and different people that can help you achieve those goals. Mm. Listen, I want to say um, a really big thank you for joining me. I know it's, it's always difficult trying to coordinate time zones. So, so I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. Thank you, podcast. Chris. I've appreciated talking with you. It's been a nice time. Great. Dr. David Brower. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you again to Dr. David Brower for joining me this week. Right off the bat, I want to highlight something that I hope you noticed. David's appearance on the show came as a result of, you guessed it, networking. David did his DBA with Dr. Larry Lee, who you'll remember from episode one, and Larry made an introduction for me for the podcast. I just wanted to take a quick moment to highlight a real example of a networking action. But back to this week's episode. I really enjoyed speaking to David about the DBA and his career since. He comes across as someone who really cares about his work, whether it's supporting students on the academic side or helping a company recruit based on cultural fit, which, as David says, is something that's crucial for the success of a company in the long term. David's simple advice to nurture your network is really important because it's easy to forget. If you don't look after it, and in this case, all it takes is an occasional text or LinkedIn message, it's really easy for it to fall away, and I hope this is something that can be taken away from the conversation this week. The advice to focus on your goal, but understand that this doesn't need to remain static was great too, and the concept of aligning and realigning is important in a world that's changing as quickly as it is these days. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast, and if you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe and share. I'm Chris Roberts, and I'll see you next time.